Welcome to the Worship Theology Podcast. I'm Jeremy Perigo, and this is a space where we're bridging theology and ministry praxis. My guest today is Graham Kendrick, who's been described as a father of modern worship music and whose songs are crammed full of poetic, divine, biblical truth and has sculpted a view of God that has impacted generations. For over 30 years, he's been at the forefront of Christian music in the UK and written hundreds of songs, which are well known around the world. It's a treat to have Graham with us today. Graham, it's it's a joy to connect with you today. And yeah, we've particularly, I think the first time we met was on a rainy day in a tent in West Sussex for a, a kind of worship training event and just have have loved yeah conversations with you probably over the last eight nine years it's been such a treat so yeah, thanks for yeah, joining me yeah. today it's a pleasure what what initially got you into to serving the church and particularly in the area of of music and worship help help us get to know a little bit about the early days of grand graham kendrick as a coming into this place of worship leader maybe even when you started that title didn't didn't exist well no you you're you're right um uh you know i kind of brought up sort of in the old old school setting my father was a a pastor and uh, in a small uh, country church and so he had to do everything um you know he he was he was the worship leader, but that basically meant, well, there wasn't August, I think, but he was musical. Um, so uh, that was great as a pastor because then you could do every, everything as a one-man ministry. Uh, that's how yeah. many churches were, you know. Um, but I was brought up in, in the faith. Uh, I'm very grateful um, for that experience. Uh, as I said, my father was quite musical, so um, he played piano and piano accordion, and he'd lead oh. choruses for the kids on his on his piano accordion, which he called Sally the Squeeze Box. Um, and, <laughs> and sometimes there'd be sort of Sunday nights um, uh, after the service, uh, you know, young people would pile around. Uh, of course, I thought they were very old people because I was just a little kid, you know, sitting on the carpet. <laughs> but, um, you know, he'd... I can remember an occasion, I think he did many times, uh, the, the gather in the room, uh, he'd pull the piano out into the middle of the room and even take the panels off sometimes, you know, it's an upright piano, mm. so yeah, it was yeah. louder. Um, yeah. And uh, he'd sit at the piano and people would lean on the piano and call out for their favourite songs. Actually, they used to call the number in the songbook because, yeah. yeah. you know, the songs were known by... The number, if you said uh, number sixty-nine, everyone knew what it was. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. that that was the kind of uh, local church, old school sort of environment. Um, but things began to change um, because I was a teenager in the sixties, um, and um, so culture was changing. Uh, I didn't know it was changing; it was just what was, you know, at the time. Yeah. Um, but music. Um, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, um, was uh, in the youth culture kind of exploded. Um, and and that created a kind of quite a, a disconnect because churches were not connecting with that. The churches were the ones who were against all this new thing, you know, and there was a lot to be yeah. a, against in, in, you know, in lots of ways. Yeah, um, sure. But... Where it influenced me was there were people maybe 10 years or so older than me that started to form bands um, mm-hmm. 
uh, with an evangelistic purpose uh, and turn church halls into coffee bars and you know go out in the streets and give out leaflets and get get youngsters who are hanging around the streets to come in uh, and you'd have a band that, you know and the idea was to play contempt you know the music of the day if you like in the pop style of the day yeah um but it was message music yeah. you know so it was i mean was that really that impetus was really missional like proclaim the gospel through the songs of the day through the styles of the day is that yeah is, was that kind of what was the impetus behind behind some of that i mean i'm sure you love them you love the music too but <laughs> i mean like yeah. uh, for me it, it was you know I, I it was a legitimate way of playing electric guitar and so on <laughs> which <laughs> to some degree yeah. but also yeah, yeah. um i did i did want to share my faith i i believed it you know i had a lot yeah. an awful lot yeah. to learn but at 14 or 15 years old or something uh i kind of took on board yeah we got to share share our faith uh, and that's where i first started writing songs um uh, and getting a chance to actually play um uh, in albeit in our, our church hall um with you know un, unscrewed the white light bulbs and put red and green ones in and you know try and put tables out and serve coffee um uh so that that was the first first environment as, as far as worship was concerned it really consisted of either singing hymns in church three or four hymns in a service um or else you'd have a kind of a a young people's fellowship sing-along, you know? And because I played guitar, I, you know, I was one of those that would, would get to strum strum along. It's a kind of campfire sing-alongs, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 you, it wasn't worship in the sense that we might understand today. It, it was much more a kind of cultural thing. So some, some, um, some of um, what what you're describing is is happening at the same time like things on the west coast of america is that right like some of the the jesus movement in the in the west coast chuck smith which a lot of scholars have studied a lot of pastors have yeah. drawn from my parents were radically transformed again they were in indiana but they were radically transformed by that wave of what god was doing it sounds like some of that same type of experience of young people gathering together, singing together, was happening. Yeah, across the pond too. It it, it certainly was, and we, be, you know, I became aware of that just through newspaper reports and so on. I remember thinking, "Oh, love, joy, and peace, and and uh, uh, flowers in your hair, and this this is great." You know, sounds like the gospel in a, in a way. <laughs> you know, I think my parents were were a little more du dubious. Um, They're a bit, you know, wiser to what stuff that was really going on. Um, but definitely, there was in the midst of that hippie thing. Yeah. There was a, a, a whole. As, as we know, a whole Jesus movement, a whole wave of people coming to, to faith in Christ, which gave birth to a kind of con a contemporary music movement. Um, and, um, and that began to influence us in, in the UK because we started to get records and Larry Norman, you know, um, folks like that, Randy Stonehill and some of those bands from Calvary Chapel, like Love Song and, and, and so on. And that became a, a guess uh, uh, mixed in with our model 
of copying the sort of Liverpool lads, you know, the, you know, and the beat, the beat sound of of the sixties. Um, because we started hearing some more sophisticated uh, music, uh, you know, from the states, and they started to come over and visit, and uh, so this whole scene kind of began to emerge, which I really um, uh, was, ex- you know, just became part of. I just was connected, I guess, at that time. I lived in London, and some of the people who were a few years ahead of me and were kind of entrepreneurs within that within that world started to put on workshops and, uh, you know, how to play the guitar, how to write a song. Uh, they started to, they formed a record company, started doing tours. And I just happened to be in that kind of orbit at the time and kind of got drawn in. Um, so when I started to show a bit of a talent for writing songs, um, there was somewhere to begin, you know, uh, in that yeah. kind of little society. There, I was, uh, this wasn't something I was playing. It's kind of off, off topic, but, uh, <laughs> but I, when I was talking with Pete Ward um, from, from Durham professor wrote selling worship years ago, and we were really trying to wrestle with those. Yeah. The, probably the, on the UK scene, like the challenge of having a career, having a vocation, having a job out of being a writer and worship leader. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, walking out God's call, like supporting the family. And so one of the things he was talking about how sometimes, yeah, the spirit is active, but also sales and, and, and kind of that Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial spirits active too. In those, in those early days, like, was that something you were trying to discern too? Like what's, you know, as, as you started to, Hey, my music's getting heard or I'm, I'm get, getting to, mm-hmm. yeah, to share in, in bigger venues or bigger avenues. Was there any wrestling mm-hmm. with, with what's, what's God and also what's just, what's just mm-hmm. business in, with, under the Christian yeah. label, but what's, what's business? Have, have you had to navigate that at all? Um, yes, certainly. I guess in, in, in initially I was, totally naive about how any of it worked i don't think i'd ever heard of royalties or you know percentages or whatever and uh the when i was first asked to make an album i uh, you know had just about enough songs to to for an an album um (laughs) it was a very low budget thing uh i was just grateful for the opportunity uh to to do it um and i I kind of trusted everybody and signed signed anything that was put in front of me, really, because I didn't I didn't even know how to assess assess it. You know, unfortunately, the folks were were, were trustworthy people, but they were learning as well. You know, so they they learnt, you know, uh, um, you know how to do things things better. Um, this was at a I time guess... too, like Graham, like there wasn't a a huge Christian like music movement i mean it, there was in different streams things happening and albums yeah. coming out but it also i mean you're there's articles the newspaper you're the godfather of modern worship or father in the uk of of worship so this <laughs> i know i know we can talk about what you think about that too later but 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 this was a time that there wasn't a well-established christian industry that was connected oh, yeah. with larger yeah. industries this everything was kind of yeah. new and fresh for everybody yeah. And and I was one of the very first 
to actually step out and do this full time because I, I think no nobody that was the kind of a dream to think wow is that even possible you know um, but I think for myself my motive was was always this missional uh, motive to share my faith um, and so that's what I do. I mean, uh, a lot of my early songs, which were story songs, and again, we're talking, you know, a good 10, uh, four, maybe 12, 14 years before I really, the praise and worship thing took over. Yeah. Um, so when I was at college, trained to be a school teacher, um, you know, we had, um, we'd sing, I'd sing the the Christian meetings that happen, they sing a few songs, I might sing a few in the folk club or whatever opportunity there was. Um, but it, it was very natural to me to turn the Bible stories that I knew into into songs. I mean, I've, I, I remember one particular preacher I heard, heard do this really well in a preaching genre, uh, just have you rolling in the aisles, just retelling a Bible story in a way that you... <laughs> you uh, you, you never heard of it that way, but it yeah. brought it alive. And I think I, I, I saw how you could do that with a song. So, you know, one of my very early uh, singer-songwriter songs was about um, Simon Peter. Um, and when, you know, he's a fisherman and Jesus, he meets Jesus on the beach. And it was like a poetic retelling, um, a little sort of two and a half minute song of, of, of how that completely changed his life. Now, I could sing that in the in a Christian meeting or I could sing it in the folk club and it was a song that told a story and people would just accept it as, as a song. And in that time when uh, there was a lot of anti, you know, anything to do with the establishment was, you know, let's get rid of that. And the church was part of what, you know, the, the new cultural wave wanted to completely dump, you know. Um, so you had to, if you like, earn the right to be heard. And I guess I, as a bit of an introvert, uh, as opposed to, you know, a preacher or something, uh, songs were the way that I could do that, as well as weaving in my own experience and my own story. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. What 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 helped or what what provoked kind of the shift from Graham playing, you know, on Sunday nights in a coffee shop style, all these folk songs to shine jesus shine knowing you my worth is not like what shifted to kind of these presentational missional kind of songs of story songs to like congregational song to songs that people wouldn't just listen to but they'd they'd sing i think shine jesus shine i remember my, my daughter when we were in northwest london has i think a, a recorder or song flute version of of the, that that they had in the c of e school so yeah, what what yeah. what shifted in 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 your own life or heart or in the church or in the uk what kind of what kind of provoked yeah, some of this it like, was a very very slow um it was very slow change um you know so I stepped out and full full time um, in the music, and then uh, after a year of, of that, I joined a, a, a traveling missions team. And then we were so that meant that we were interacting with churches a lot, but we were also connected with some of the new movements, uh, like the house church movements uh, in the UK. And there was a whole sort of renewal movement that that was 
springing up all kinds of places um, in in all the denominations um, here and there. And it was quite controversial at the time. Um, it um, and I came into but by meeting people who are kind of before and after thing. I knew them before. And then they talked about this experience of the spirit, and I, I met the after, and I thought something, something pretty good happened to you. Where do you get that, you know? And then I would, I, I was hungry for experience, you know. I'd had a bit, grown up on great Bible teaching and and a good sort of framework and um, moral framework, and 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 I was in the faith. I was born again, uh, but there was more when I read the New Testament. There was a lot there that I thought, what if that was for today? That would be amazing, you know. And I was hungry for it. Uh, so that was my journey. And over those years, um, while I was largely using my music in, in um, at a concert setting, or a, uh, you know, some some situation that had been set up um, uh, to you know encourage people to get in conversation about the Christian faith and so on. Um, uh there was a whole change going the shape shift going on um and in that new wave i would find myself in it might just be in a somebody's living room somebody's front room and people would be worshiping in a very free kind of way and they'd be singing these very simple songs um and and repeating them and so on and from the outside, people would often say, oh, why do you have to sing that song 10 times or whatever, you know? But when you're inside it, it's like you were just going deeper every time, you know, and, and you were seeking God's presence and you were seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit more than you were. Or, you know, you're just wanting to find God in a tangible way. And loads of people were, you know. Um, and so as I soaked in that... Uh, I learned those songs, and then because I could play the guitar, I'd be asked, would I lead that song? I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, and in the local churches we ministered with, with these missions, these local church missions, uh, you know, I'd be asked, I'd be one of the team who'd be asked to get up and, you know, lead us all in in this thing that we were doing out there, and now it's coming here, and it's a bit different, and we're waiting on God. You know, we're not just sitting, singing him and sitting down. We're singing a song, and then we're, we're engaging. We're singing another song, and we're trying to sort of really get all our attention on, on God's presence and here. So, Expecting so I, without a, realizing I, it, I was, I was learning to be a worship leader. Yeah, you know? yeah. I hear, like, some of that expectation for encounter, like... This is, yeah. yeah, yes, we are singing, yes, we're, which we, you've been doing for years in the church and in, in other yeah. settings, but, but something in you and in that community had shifted mm. to say, this is a dynamic yeah. relational encounter that can not only yeah. be something we talk about, but actually experience mm. and know at a, a deep level. Yeah. That's, yeah, fact, that's beautiful. The, I'm curious, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the, no, the, the, the first, what you might call, praise and worship songs specifically that I wrote were within the context of our little traveling team, like with 10 of us. And it was very um, grassroots. It, it, it was, so one of the songs, for example, um, we, we, were, we would pray, we'd have a little prayer meeting, so we were gonna 
be stepping out into a big meeting, you know, with a load of young people or something like that. And so let's pray. But then suddenly there'll be an atmosphere. There'll be a bad atmosphere because you know how it is. You work intensely together with a bunch of people of strong characters, you know, people who are strong enough to stand up on a platform and, and do this or do that. And there'll be tensions, you know, and and no one will pray because it's just like, Oh, we've, someone's quenching the spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, someone's got to forgive someone else. And it was true. But And I remember sitting in one of those and thinking of some words, like a prayer. And that was, um, Jesus, stand among us at the meeting, at the meeting of our lives. You Because know, we our lives were getting mixed in. We weren't just side by side in church once a week. We were living up close uh and there were tensions and so on, as there always are. Um, you know, be our sweet agreement at the meeting of our eyes. You know, where's this kind of living, walking in the light together? And I, it's, it very quickly became a song. Mm-hmm. And next time we met, uh, I, I led us in the song, and it really helped because the song kind of focused us all in to Jesus mm-hmm. stand among us, you know? Ah, oh, that's, that's, that's what we want. So let's get sort out everything else just so we can have Jesus in the center. And songs will come like that, that just existed in that little circle. But we'd use them in the churches we visited and little by little they got on the grapevine. And the way that song, new songs traveled at that time, it was the amazing new technology was the overhead projector, and, which uh, as primitive as it sounds, uh, up to that point, um, it was hymn books or song books, and they get a new edition every 25 years. So it's like once a generation, you might get a chance to pop some new songs <laughs> in there. But now, in the time it would take to, to write out the words on yeah. a little acetate and slap it on the screen, it's, it's up there on the wall, yeah. and you could sing it. And so songs would travel and travel and get past and sometimes altered a little bit in the I process. Can re- I can remember in, yeah, probably junior high for me i'm i'm old enough to remember that i could remember our <laughs> youth pastor worship leader you know hearing a new song this is in the you know in the late 80s early 90s like yeah having having this you know the the person running yeah. that transparency grab one of those blue blue pens and write it in as as nice as they could and and then we'd sing it that night and and like you said like that's that was a massive innovation in in the the worshiping life of of the yeah. church to be able to share a song that you heard that yeah. day or at a conference or on the radio because mm-hmm. you could write it down and project it for for everyone to to, to sing wow that's yeah you've 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 experienced like from from the hymn books of of your father's you know living room kind of calling out hymn 69 hymn 70 to to transparencies to 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 now today yeah yeah what's what's in in all in all that experience what's what's central graham to your theology of worship You know, that's a big um, question. I know it, it is a big question, and you know, I, I when I've been doing this for a few years, so just copying the the various people that the trends. You know, there was a new way. It was like the the pop singer became the worship leader, if you like, and culturally, yeah. if you learn it in cultural yeah. terms. Um, uh, I I. I was. I started to get asked to teach about this, you know, and I suddenly realised I didn't really have a theology of worship, 
So how do I get one, you know? Um, and I thought that the best way to do that would be actually if, if I set out to write a book about worship in this, what was a fresh context at that time, I'll, ha I'll have to study, I'll have to learn how to, you know, learn about it so I can write about it and teach about it. And that's basically what I did. I wrote a simple book about it. Um, uh, but it, it helped me to begin to uh, have a more inquiring mind uh, about, you know, uh, 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 and of course, a theology of worship is something which you're constantly learning, learning about. But I think for me, the, the big things were um, the Trinitarian nature of worship, you know, that, you know, the worship is to, to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And passages like um, uh, Jesus with the uh, Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, uh, the Father seeking worship, worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. What does in spirit and truth mean? Um, exploring those kind of understandings. What's going on when we worship? Um, and of course, I think one thing that became clear the more I sort of studied was the the central event of worship is is Christ. You know, the God has come to us in Christ, the incarnation, this historical event, um, God with us, you know, and it how it all flows into that. And the person of Jesus is at the center of it, just like when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman of Jacob's well, and um uh, and she, you know she says, where can I get this living water, you know? Um, or, you know, the, the Messiah's going to come. And when he comes, he'll tell us all about this. And I who speak to you am he. You know, so he juices himself as, as the one who is the key to all of, all of this, about not worshipping here or there, you know, yeah. Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem but in spirit and in truth, a dimension of relationship with God where we, our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, so it was those kind of things which I think really fired me up and gave me uh, a, a better understanding of, of, uh, of uh, some kind of theology of worship. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's, it's good to hear. So much of, and we've, we've been on panels where there's, yeah, there's folks asking, why do contemporary worship songs have such bad theology? And I think it it, it helps to hear that one of those writers is is wrestling with some of those big, big key, like foundational concepts, like who is God, Father, Son, Spirit, that I think I remember one doing my master's or doctorate Lest, uh, article by Lester Ruth, a mutual yeah friend of ours. I think um, he yeah. he he did some research on the songs sung, kind of from I believe like 1985 to like 2005, and so many of the top CCLI songs in America um, didn't have a trinitarian view of God. They had either a unitarian or bitarian. And I think of of three songs he found on that, those top lists, um, one of yours, "Shine Jesus Shine," was one that named Father, Son, and, and Spirit. So <laughs> you made you made the list. And of course, that doesn't mean other aspects of the service of that that people were leading at that time. Yeah, weren't weren't praying to the Father, you know, through the Son and the Spirit. But um, 
it, it is important. Why why do you think um, there's been this divide at times between theology and worship, particularly as we look at kind of the evangelical or charismatic world that in, in some sense, those worlds sometimes are anti-theological study or anti-academic study. Um, mm. And oh, we just want to, let's not talk about it. Let's, we just want to worship, Graham. Just let's yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it. Why, why, why are you criticizing? Why are you analyzing? Or why are you? And on the, on the, on the flip side, sometimes theologians are known to be, mm. you know, they teach not at seminary. They teach at cemeteries because they're old, dry bones. Why, why do you uh, think yeah. particularly some of the streams we've, mm. we've been in, there's this, there's this divide? Mm. Okay. I mean, I think a lot of it is is you have to look at the cultural background. You know, the the uh, the, the age of we're in the, we're still in the age of the singer songwriter, which quite burst upon us in the in the sixties, really. And it's you know it's the individual who's got something to say uh, and has got this sort of these insights, you know, uh, and sharing them with everybody else how they see the world and and uh, people identify with that. Uh, and you know, I guess individualism, which has been, you know, <laughs> just growing and growing and growing, um, probably some would say since the Enlightenment or or before, um, where personal experience um, is is elevated above um, objective truth or you know anything transcendent. You know, the, the putting the human the the human being in the center of everything um um so i think that's the background to it singer songwriters uh or poets or artists um what they say doesn't have to be truth it just has to be authentic you know that's that's the kind of ad attitude so inevitably in that sort of um environment um there's less of a value put on uh ultimate absolute truth and uh, and so on and many people just don't believe there is such a you know such a thing uh i think another factor is that perhaps because of that a, a lot of churches have lightened up on their bible teaching you know yeah. um certainly uh and i i i regard myself as very blessed of having sort of tasted both in a way because I grew up on the what was elevated in the church was the Bible teacher you know and churches whole churches would um, gather around a star preacher and and every people would take take their notebooks to church and it was all about the teaching and and, and everybody and I, I and the the and I remember being part of that. I loved it, and it 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 gave me a value for for good Bible exposition. And my father did a a great job. He 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 would he was a, simply a local church pastor, but it was always Bible, you know. Um, and uh, so I learned to to value that. But then along comes the Spirit, which took us into experience. Which was really missing to a great degree in lots areas of the church, um, and that's dynamite because you had Bible people who then got filled with the Spirit, mm -hmm. and it's a dynamic combination, 
you know, word, word, word so and spirit. It's, it, it's people who knew knew the story, like knew God's word, knew the yeah. knew the bit knew the big na- narrative, yeah. and could even yeah, expo- uh, yeah, expository preaching. They'd grown up in that experience, mm-hmm. um, and then it was like, oh, this is for real. This isn't <laughs> this isn't just words to hear and to cognitively believe yeah. but it's also words to to know to to experience mm. i I, th- I think you you just said that kind of word and spirit i think every conversation that i've had with you you know whether it's coffee you know <laughs> next to the next to the church in tumbridge wells or or in london or in, on a rainy day you in west sussex you've 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 kind of used that combination of of word and spirit mm. and for those yeah for, for for some of us those those terms are well known for you, what what does that mean, particularly as we think about corporate worship or the gathering of God's people? What what does a service that's kind of framed or undergirded by those two two concepts or ideas really kind of look like? Well, first of all, I think it's important to say that they're not two different things. Um, you know, mm. uh, Jesus said, "The words I've spoken to you, uh, they're full of spirit and life." The words full of spirit and life so we are talking about one and the same thing yeah the sword of the spirit is, we, we, the sword of the spirit is the word of god word, like, of, yeah. word of god yeah so uh. it, it you know it it all centers around jesus mm. you know the word and who was full of the spirit um so i think it's it's not about finding some clever balance you know it is it is centering on jesus and trying to follow the jesus who was the word and full of the spirit you know who showed us that perfect balance of word word and spirit how does that look like in 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 practice um i think it's it's um it's a it's a constant challenge um in that i think service uh leaders service planners meeting planners pastors all have to wrestle with constantly and i I think it has to be worked out in a local context um and when you look at your the songs you're singing and assess are we singing this song just because it's the latest cool song that everyone likes and they already know it because they got it off you know the internet yeah and yeah we should really sing that one because it's everyone loves it but that's not the only criteria you know uh churches have their teaching programs and is there other themes that we should be choosing our songs around so that when the the word is taught the songs are supporting that, you know? Um, so I think when I'm to this very day and I'm, I, I'm, I lead worship um, in my church, I'm on the rotor as, as one is these days. Um, and I'm very blessed to be able to, you know, be still leading worship. And so for me, there's always a discussion. Um, you know, I want to know about... What is the theme of the service? What's the context of these songs? You know, what's what is the Bible reading? Um, 
and maybe this is my Baptist background, I'm kind of thematically driven. Uh, I want to know what's the what are the core truths that this service is about, and how can I un undergird those with the choice of songs that I make, and the balance of of those songs. You know, and is there going to be a kind of a a um, some kind of a commissioning or call at the end? You know, do we need a song that sends people out? You know. So I'm balancing all these things. And, and actually more than that, because I'm balancing, okay, so this is a great song, but I'm I'm not sure we can pull it off, you know, with the lineup we've got <laughs> can, next Sunday. Yeah. Can the band you know? play it? Um, <laughs> yeah, can can the band play it or is it is it a, a song which uh you know, there's no electric guitarist down next Sunday, so yep. <laughs> it's very much electric guitarist. Can we adapt this song so we do it without the guitar riffs and everything, you know? Yeah. All those issues, they're all kind of swirling together in this conversation with the, you know, with the pastor and the, and the teaching and the particular purpose of that, that service. Uh, and in the midst of that, <clears throat> I think, I guess that's a lot of it. We, we're looking for, uh, to uh, communicate the word uh, uh, and you trust that, you know, everyone is seeking to be guided by the Spirit with the word that is chosen and the way that it's put it's put forward. Um, and as we worship with the the right content, we trust that people are going to receive the the Spirit and truth, you know, of Jesus. Um, uh, in in the midst of all of that, it's it's all a an act of faith, really, stepping out and saying, is this the best, this is the best that we can do? Okay, here we go. God, you know, this is no doubt inadequate and falls short in lots of ways. It won't be perfect, but fill it and uh, inhabit it. Yeah. A, a question from kind of from a PhD student at Baylor sent, sent this in to me, and it's along these lines that we're already kind of breaking down, but the student writes, what's the primary purpose or aim of, of corporate song? And then what evidence should we look for to discern if if we're actually fulfilling the purpose? I know you're you've you've listed off, I think, some of those purposes already, just in our our kind of <laughs> discussion here and meanderings a little bit. But what as as you plan or as you think or even as you write, what what is that purpose of or kind of focus, aim, goal of, of corporate singing or corporate song? Well, it, it is a whole mixture of things. Um, it, you know, songs have this wonderful way of combining our emotions with uh, content, um, helping us to engage with feeling the truths that we're singing. Um, and I think that's that's really important. Um, to to speak the truth would be very good, but if you sing them, somehow your you, your your heart is released more, uh, and also you remember things better if if they're hung on a on a good tune. So there's a whole teaching thing that's that's going on uh, on there. I think there's a kind of a a, a bonding. That happens with a group of people. It's a very human thing. Um, uh, I mean, in a sense, you could say there was 
there is no worship that isn't corporate worship, really, because we're, even if I'm worshiping on, on my own, there are other people worshiping all, all around the world simultaneously and using similar words or the same psalms or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and it is, our faith is essentially a corporate faith, even though we sometimes struggle to see that in, in, in the individualistic Western you know, culture. Um, but, um, uh, I mean, I, I think I, I read of an experiment which was done somewhere where um, people's heartbeats were, uh, the rate heart rates were measured as they sung. And I don't know how heavy the beat was, but after a while, if people sing together, their hearts start to actually beat mm. together. Mm. And you think, wow, that's, that's powerful. Mm. Um, that's powerful for good or for evil, isn't it? Yeah. You know, in different contexts. But if you think of human beings uh, having been created to for relationship with God and to you know, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, yeah. to uh, you know, to, to 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 love God and to enjoy Him, uh, enjoy Him forever, enjoyment of God. Um, uh, as a corporate thing, there's something quite profound um, uh, in in singing. And if, if we believe those texts that we are corporately the body of Christ, you know, we're a living stones built together as a temple for a habitation of God. You know, a corporate song can bring a unity um, where we can maybe realize that in some in some way, I don't think we're going to get the fullness of it till the, the the fullness comes. But we're tasting something of what it is to be one body, um, hearts beating as one, agreeing with these truths. It's very, it's 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 pow It's a powerful thing. I can remember you also in I think songwriting workshops or lectures that that I've hosted with you. Like talking also about the the formative dimension of of corporate worship, and I think one of the questions you posed to songwriters are what what are the songs that you want people to be singing in the care home or yeah. at at your at the at your funeral? And I I, I mean yeah. I'll be I'll be really exposed here. Like a, a few months ago, my brother passed away unexpectedly, just about ten years mm -hmm. uh, ten years older than me, and. Um, just wow. a, a terrible tragedy and unexpected. And that was about the time um, Stephanie Gretzinger, a, a kind of known worship artist, released all these songs that were from my child, my childhood. And so it was at 4 a.m. as I was driving to the airport. I live in Sioux Center. Sioux Falls is the closest airport. South. I drive to South Dakota now to, to, to get on a plane, which is a lot different than Heathrow. But um, we were driving, I was driving by myself at 4 a.m. And yeah, these songs um, that, that she recorded and Knowing You comes mm. up. And I guess in the midst of that terrible pain, um, there was a formative dimension of that song that said, Jeremy, even in like... Even mm. in the midst of, of tragedy, um, I can say that you're the best God. You're my all, you know, all of these yeah. these things. And I guess how mm. how has that helped 
um, you as a songwriter, even as you're selecting songs, thinking about, um, yeah, corporate unity and kind of God's great story, but also um, rich theological truths that we can mm-hmm. we can hold on to in the moment of crisis yeah. or in the moment yeah. of loneliness or pain. Where where does mm-hmm. that play into kind of your own your own writing? I, I think it gives me a, a sense of awe in a sense or a sense of responsibility, a kind of a, a holy charge, you know, um, commission to how can, you know, what's the best I can do as a writer to produce something which is worth worth remembering. Um, and I know songs are different. Some songs are like shooting stars, some are like planets, which come, you know, come round and round again. But w- whichever, uh, it, it's, I, I try to, when I'm writing a song, to step back and and think is this really the best it can be is is this you know can this if this sticks in people's minds and if people are going to sing them at funerals and and uh, and uh, those life mo- moments is it worthy of that you know why should they choose this song or, or what could i do to improve this song that it might become a little bit closer to that to that song you know um so it does, and sometimes I go too far with that and I, I get so perfectionist that I never finish the Johnny song. So <laughs> no one ever does sing it because it never got finished. Because <laughs> nobody's heard now it. And again, yeah. by the grace, <laughs> now and again, by the grace of God, you know, they, they, they do get finished. I mean, one of the things that I've habitually done uh, over the years is to invite input from uh, other than you know I do co-writing and whatever but apart from that uh, people that perhaps are not songwriters or lyricists but they have a theological um, uh, perspective um, that I don't have or just a different one uh, and I say you know okay look at that song this is how it goes or I send them a draft version of it or something and how does that sit with you you know what would what do you think I should perhaps think twice about you know and that's been such a such a help um it's actually saved me from from some sort of um almost semi-heretical things Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um I remember um I was already in the process of recording um a song called meekness and majesty and and uh I was in the traveling in the back of the car with a friend of mine who's, uh, th- you know, theologically trained, and I sh- sort of proudly sh- showed him the words and whatever, and he kind of, mm, okay. <laughs> so this line about being uh, Christ being clothed uh, with humanity, uh, did you know that there was a, a, a heresy? <laughs> you know, blah blah blah. Uh, Sixteen hundred you know, years ago, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah um in the early centuries of the yeah. church that, that jesus uh, was temporarily clothed with godness and then at least like clothes you put them on you take them off you know so i thought okay i'm going to change that you know and i'm glad i did because although i guess it was one of those things where people would have sort of yeah that's okay you can just about get away with it but actually it does make a difference um 
But I think the other it's not just about correct theology, which is really important, or correct doctrine in the kind of tick box sense. I think sometimes there is a a journey of a truth in a song, from the beginning of the song to the end of the song, which um, uh, is part of um, part of part of its journey. And I remember that same song actually, um, which is several verses. It's quite hymn-like, um, and I was really struggling with how to finish that song. And it all sat so beautifully, poetically, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity and perfect harmony of the man who is God. And, um, um, you know, the last verse, wisdom unsearchable, God the invisible, love indestructible and in frailty appears. How do we finish this song, you know? And eventually what suddenly clicked, and I honestly can't remember how it came, um, whether it just, you know, I, whether somebody suggested something to me or whatever, but I suddenly realized that there was a whole journey of this song's about incarnation. So there's a, there was a coming down, you know, God comes down and, and becomes one of us and suffers. But then he takes our humanity and lifts it back up to his throne. So it's like this song should, needs to come from heaven yeah. to earth and back again and um, ended up with um, Lord of Infinity stooping so tenderly lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne and when that kind of popped I thought yes <laughs> <laughs> this is it's just so satisfying to um, and I, I think that's one of the great things about hymns and I was obviously exploring the hymn genre is that you you can explore a whole train of thought in a in a hymn in a way that in a lot of worship songs it all takes you back to the chorus and it's all about the chorus and of course you can take a journey in verse one and verse two or if the three verses you can uh and there's a chorus in meekness and majesty as well um but sometimes it's feels a bit cut and paste so you've got a little bit of that and a little bit of that and and it's all good but there isn't necessarily a cohesive journey of thoughts and unfolding in in the song do you think that's one of the one of the reasons why there is this critique of of kind of bad theology some of it may be the the form, the structure, um, not even so much the content that, you know, you have these very devotional choruses that are really about adoration. Like Jesus is great, mm. amazing. God's great. Um, where, you know, where you can have two, three, four, five verses that you can, you can say quite a bit and look at things from mm. different angles and even have that tension of, heaven and earth like do you think some of the reason mm. yeah that that maybe there's a critique for some of the charismatic songs particularly of the 80s 90s that just they didn't mm. say much because they were short simple <laughs> simple songs yeah and they didn't need to say much and and um uh, i think genre is is an issue i mean the hymn genre is fantastic for carrying content you know, because you, you've got a, a singable tune and a singable key. Uh, hope it's hopefully it's a great tune, and you repeat <laughs> it. And the journey, 
the interest is developed in 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 the lyric in the in the development of the journey of of our interaction with this particular truth you know unfolding the truth and then at the same time unfolding our response to you know to the to the truth i think the largely speaking the genre which is dominates in lots of the church now is it is the kind of radio single genre you know uh where you've got you know three and a half minutes or something to um uh, uh you know to to hook to get the chorus hooked into and of course songwriters use use the term of hooks i love the hook in that song you know it's the little bit the earworm you know the lit, yeah. the bit that you wake up in the night and you you, you remember that it's the it's it's the hook uh, and of course the chorus usually has the hook and the highest notes um and so you know you get you know verse chorus first chorus bridge chorus so you get this thing it always takes you back to the chorus um uh so that the, you remember the chorus within those three and a half minutes you know you've had enough of the chorus to remember it and to want to sing it again hopefully uh, so you've got and the there didn't used to be bridges in worship songs this is a shock to some people <laughs> but yeah. i i remember looking back to um the song song books of some of the early events in the uh very sort of yeah sort of early like late 70s early 80s and you look at all the songs and it's either solid traditional hymns or it's simple choruses but there's i don't know when the bridges came in they probably came in the 90s or something you know? i i think i'm trying to think like monique Ingalls, i can't remember who but traces some of that to what was happening in the uk too um matt redman others like blessed be your name and no i i i don't know if that's the case but i could i could remember reading something like that's part of the british invasion into the american worship scene is offering bridges yeah Uh, and it and it's great because we you know the positive is that um we need to communicate um and we're not the dominant culture once upon a time in in the west the church was the dominant was the 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 culture meister you know um and but we're not now we are minority within a very diverse culture um and so inevitably um we we grow up with these genres and they communicate but i think we have to remain kind of we have to be able to step back and assess what we're doing and the strengths and weaknesses um and you know along with the strength come come weaknesses i've sometimes thought of the the sort of the pop song the radio single genre as um in in three words motion emotion and notion um the you what hits you first is the beat and the rhythm and you start to to join in with your rhythmic instincts you know and then next you feel the emotion of it and then lastly um what it's actually saying and of course for many of us with pop songs it's decades later that we actually think about a line from a song we were singing when we we're teenagers we thought that's disgusting and <laughs> and you never realize because in your innocence it was just words that you sang it was just like the sound of the words you know i could the th- meaning <laughs> <laughs> I can think of particularly as a as a dad now. I'm both, 
yeah, listening to songs that I listened to as a teenager or, or a, a kid, and I'm like, I look at li- looking at it through, with the eyes of a of a father, like what what's helping form my kids? What are their beliefs, uh, you know, and how do they yeah. engage with culture? I'm like, oh my goodness, my parents let me <laughs> let me listen to this, and <laughs> like I think you see, yeah, as you 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 have the yeah as you mature you start to see things like wow this was what this is what they were really talking about in this in this pop song yeah 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 it kind of reminds me some of the conversations we're having about genre and form like it takes me back to kind of paul colossians ephesians to sing psalms hymns spiritual songs and i think some of our church traditions, well, you know, some of the reform tradition only singing psalms or, you know, there's certain traditions that are only mm-hmm. wanting to sing songs that are the, you know, the Christological hymns, these rich hymns to Christ mm-hmm. that are filled throughout the New Testament. As you were talking about meekness and majesty, I was thinking of Philippians 2, that hymn to Christ mm-hmm. in, in, in mm-hmm. Philippians. And then I think there's some of our streams that really only want to sing the spiritual songs, the Odes Pneumaticos, the, the, the spirit songs, yeah. the spirit inspired yeah. songs. And I guess I, in this conversation, I hear you may be challenging us to, to let's, let's draw from all of those um, streams because they, they're, they're, they're critical to our, I think our, our own formation as, mm-hmm. as the people of God to be able to, sing the Psalms right now as I think of my friends in Kiev, like I, there's those imprecatory Psalms for me, uh, give me a place to, to share my righteous anger of what's happening to them that I might have not been able to sing a year ago. Um, or, or things like these Christological hymns to hold us deep to who is Jesus and why is he the center of our faith? What does the Christ event mean? But also, what is the spirit saying right now, Graham, as, as you're sitting there with yeah. your, your guitar in, in the room? And I think mm. I think that enables us to form be formed, yeah, into the fullness of, of who we are as as the people of God. Do you have kind of thoughts yeah. on that? Oh absolutely. Um uh you know, I think there are different emphasis, different places, and I, I've heard you know, one, two people speculate over those two scriptures in you know, Colossians 3.16 about the, you know, the message of Christ dwelling in you richly uh, and Ephesians 5.18, which is going to be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, you got word and spirit there. <laughs> exactly. and think, well, pa- perhaps it was the Colossians needed, you know, they had plenty of spirit, they needed a bit more message and maybe the, you know, the, the, the Ephesians had lots of message needed more um Whichever way around yeah, it was, yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> you know, a matter of emphasis, perhaps at a particular time. Um, and I, th- I, I, I that, that's a reasonable, I suppose, way to look at it. But I think we, we always need to look for, look for the balance and see. Um, uh, and I, perhaps one of the biggest things I think is is culture because culture is actually becomes invisible to us because it's just. Hey, this is how things are. You know, this is how we do things around here. And so, in an individualistic culture, um, songs, worship songs about our experience feel just right. They feel, yeah, this is what life's all about. You know, um, but actually, 
we're part of the kingdom of God. You know, what is what's the kingdom of God about? And actually, there's far more corporate. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a whole discussion there, isn't it? In what songs are not even being written because we default to what the culture loves. You know, so when I if if I need a song that's about the body of Christ, about us as a community, I really struggle to find new songs that have been written about that. You know, and it can only be because we don't see it. You have to go to, a, and you've traveled a lot, so, uh, and I've, I've had the privilege of traveling a lot of places, and there are cultures to this day which are essentially communal, mm-hmm. you know, and... People do things together, and us individualists look on and think, "Oh, this, they're just, they're just, a, you know, all copying each other, doing the same thing, you know, all out doing exercises in the park, all exactly the same thing." And we just don't get it because of our individualism. It becomes invisible. But I think we need to ask God for help to see where the kingdom of God wants, where else the kingdom of God wants to take us, you know. Um, and I think we have to, um, I'm sure you saw the very interesting, um, uh, tweet and article, I think got into Christianity Today or something by, uh, a chap called Michael Rhodes, uh, who did a study last year sometime, uh, and in his study of the Psalms, he suddenly thought, oh, what if I compared, uh, the content of the top 25 most popular worship songs in the United States at the yeah. moment, and the Psalms. And it was really quite quite revealing um, what wasn't there. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is what, what's not there. For example, he pointed out that there's almost, there was almost nothing in those top 25 popular songs uh, about the poor and the needy uh, and about justice. Um and there was almost no lament at all about you know the way the psalms uh, are so full of why why God has this happened um, and he, for him he said the biggest thing that he shocked him as missing was that there were no questions that's an interesting thing isn't it that we're not used to having songs that ask God questions but the psalms are full of it you know where are you God you know, why, why don't why don't you do something about this wickedness over here or, or whatever? Um, and so I think I think for me that was a helpful way. What if what if we did use the Psalms in terms of content as a template for the kind of things that our worship should, you know, contain? Um, and I think that's a really big challenge because it just, I think, boy, we've got a long way to go because certain things just don't sit right in church because we just never do them. You know, like lament or crying out against injustice. and um... Yeah, as I, I hear that, I mean, I've, I think Geraldine Latte and I had this discussion of, of a few months ago, like wrestling, like why 
in particular streams of the church. Some have been singing, chanting the psalms, particularly liturgical streams and monastic communities, sing those songs, pray those songs all the time, but particularly the kind of evangelical, non-denominational, charismatic, like our, our worship has to be positive. There's an expectation that it, our primary goal is to inspire, um, which (laughs) if we look at the statistics, people are depressed. They're walking through pain and anxiety and, um, and those are pastors and leaders too. Like, it's so to kind of put on this fake mask that everything has to be happy all the time, um, I think it actually starts to feel inauthentic. And I think some of some of the students, younger students I'm working with now, like things you're saying about individualism, they're they're trying to push for a greater sense of community. And and similarly, yeah, yeah. Um, er, areas of of doubt. One of our recent yeah, students just graduated. We helped put out an EP and one of his songs was a lot of questions um, and, yeah. and to be used in a corporate environment. But I think the the expectations and the the tools we use to discern what songs um, should be sung are actually sometimes preventing those really important songs to be to be yeah. sung. I mean, have you have have you written or even you know in a spontaneous context like yeah written those songs of lament or pain or loneliness that actually could fit within maybe a con yeah a corporate environment or a conference or, or something like that yeah I've, I've had a go i've had plenty of failures um <laughs> it's it's one thing to recognize the need for a certain kind of song and another matter to write a really good song that does <laughs> that, that people want, you know? can sing yeah that ones, yeah <laughs> yeah um uh, uh, yeah and even having written it is anybody gonna you know is there is a space for it because yeah. As we've said, there are only spaces for certain kinds of songs, you know, yeah. um, uh, 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 and there's only a certain amount of, of demand. Um, but I mean, one such song, which is that connection, it was it was in the late '80s, and it did get sung quite a lot at the at, at the time. Um, was written out of uh, I was at a, a Christian leaders conference and. Um, People were, it was lots of bad stuff going on in the country at the time. And um, one after the other, you know, the delegates were talking about the stuff that was really breaking their hearts and and concerning them. Um, And I sat there, kind of started to sort of take some notes and and so on. And uh, and it turned into a, a, what you call, I don't think I used the word at the time, but I think it was a, a lament. You know, so, you know, Lord, the clouds are gathering, the fire of judgment um, uh, burns, how we have fallen, you know, um, and about, you know, you stand appalled to see your laws of love so scorned and lives so broken. Have mercy, Lord, forgive us, Lord. And I went into sort of the Amos, um, you know, cry, um, restore, restore us again, have mercy, let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like a never failing stream and we did sing that a lot uh, and it is essentially it was a lament leading us into prayer you know uh, and there are such songs and i think we we i wrote another one which i suppose in a sense the more specific you get 
sometimes they become too narrow. Yeah. But to be shared um, to be shared more broadly. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 And I, I wrote one uh, which which was really about the um uh sacredness of human life. Um and it was who can sound the depths of sorrow in the father heart of God for the children we've rejected for the lives so deeply scarred. Uh, and the whole song, you know, it it brightened up a little bit in the fifth verse, I think. <laughs> and, it, and it was sung a lot, but in particular contexts. Yeah. But it is definitely a mourning and a, and a lament and a cry to, 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 to God. So, you know, I've... But I've often tried and not succeeded to, you know, yeah. perhaps I've had my two songs or whatever. <laughs> well, my quota, I, I maybe. think <laughs> for those for those that aren't aren't songwriters, but are um, or or just getting started with that. I, one of the things I also try to do is are there are there refrains? I can th I'm trying to think of one we've used recently, like uh, Rich Decast, Rich and Lydia, like um God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Oh, yeah. yeah. A simple, yeah. simple chorus refrain. Um, yeah. It does, yeah. And some of the the verses bridge talks. Yeah, it's kind of Sermon on the Mount talks about the poor and blessed. And and so then, yeah. as we've as we've sang that refrain, we've put images of of things that are happening in the world. And so then yeah. then we're not just singing God, let your kingdom come right now so i feel a little better about my life or i, yeah, I feel yeah. some holy yeah. spirit doodads or goosebumps or something um but actually taking that to become more a, a prayer of lament or a prayer of longing or yearning mm -hmm. for the kingdom mm -hmm. to come in different parts of the city um yeah so i i think for for some it is writing writing those drawing from the psalms and and the prophets amos you mentioned but also, are there songs that are, yeah, more intercessory that that could be used to, to to simultaneously as you know, I can think of us singing that over issues in in Ukraine or I, other times in Nigeria. We've sang it in in Turkey with where pastors have been imprisoned, and and so there's a simultaneously this yearning, longing. We want to see the kingdom, but also it's it's mixed with hope because. We are seeing the kingdom together in the midst as as we're gathered together, and so I think I think there's ways in addition to kind of for those who are called to write and but also to think through how within a service you can create those moments that aren't only adoration um, but also maybe moments of intercession or longing or wrestling, um, which often gets pushed to the side in, in so many places we. We, we often are, are worshiping or, or leading. Yeah, 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 definitely. We've been using that um, song by Rich Decas, yeah. Yeah, King, Kingdom Come, uh, a lot. It's been one of our key songs for, yeah. for the last couple of, of years. And it's, it's very versatile because you say the, as you said, the, there's loads of content and verses, but the chorus, you can just sing it in a prayer meeting. You just sing that chorus and then pray a little more and then sing the chorus and i think those kinds of songs are uh are really u useful um but i think also you know we often songwriters like me we always think of writing some epic you know um <laughs> um but some you know sometimes you can just almost invent something on the spot with a 
singing a, a, a line of a prayer, you know, or picking up, you hear someone's prayer and, and you think, oh, we could sing that, you know, just somebody's extemporary prayer, you know, and you can pick that up maybe and, and sing, oh, let's sing this together and just make up a tune. It doesn't have to ever be done again. Yeah, you know? in, in that moment. You're not writing a yeah. song to record and release, yeah. you know, um, but it just in that moment to sing that line because it means it's somehow it's more repeatable. You know, you, if you just say something again and again, it wears out. But if you're singing it, somehow it carries the emotion as well. Please check out the continuation of this great conversation with Graham Kendrick and want to just give a special thanks to the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship for their support of this podcast.